Welcome everyone to another episode of my podcast and we have a theme appearing in my uh, episodes this year. I'm bringing back uh, repeat guests but for good reason and today I'm delighted to have back the brilliant um, Neil, Neil Malarkey. Neil, I hope you said your surname <laughs> correctly. I should always check beforehand. Neil is nodding on camera which is good and I had the pleasure of meeting Neil in 2021, I believe it was, when I was doing a project at PA Consulting. And Neil took me through one of his amazing improv uh, workshops, but using it from a, a pitching uh, perspective. And then I follow Neil on social and Neil has a new book. So for those of you that are watching, you may see that lots of new books uh, in the background. And Neil is now holding this up in the moment. Build your confidence, communication and creativity at work. And I'm going to continue reading. Every meeting, presentation and conversation is an opportunity to embrace your confidence and show your creative flair. Discover how to transform your career and grow your network by finding success with In The Moment by Neil. So Neil, I will um, shut up because you've also got a fascinating backstory for those that don't know you. So the who, what, why, when, where, and let's find out what In The Moment means. Gosh, thank you. I was always wanting to be a comedian. Actually, before that, I wanted to be a doctor. When I chose my A-levels in high school, you could choose three, physics, chemistry, maths. I wanted to be a doctor, but then I got to be in the school play. And I had this sense of, oh, this is addictive. You you can make people laugh. So I went to Cambridge and was in the Cambridge Footlights that people may have heard of because of Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Olivia Coleman, Sasha Baron Cohen, Emma Thompson, and I got to be president and then eventually admitted to my parents I wanted to do showbiz. I'd studied economics and social science. So I'd already gone off the family track, which was mostly maths and science. And we toured UK and Australia as the Cambridge Footlights. And then I met a man called Mike Myers selling tickets for a show I was in because he'd heard of Footlights because of Monty Python. Uh, he was selling tickets actually at his tiny pub theatre. We got talking. So he's Shrek and Wayne's World and uh, Austin Powers. But in 1985, before you were born, Alex, he wasn't any of those things. He actually done Wayne in Toronto, but he started talking and he was so funny. And he, I said, what are you doing? He said, I've just come here because Monty Python and Peter Sellers, I want to be in Britain. And I said, where it's at now is alternative comedy. Let's go see some stuff. And uh, he made me laugh. He made me laugh. I said, let's do a double act, Malarkey and Myers. But little... Uh, did I know that he was an improv king? I'd heard of the group he'd been in in, in Canada called Second City because I liked a movie called The Blues Brothers. So I investigated that started with Saturday Night Live. Actually, even before that, they were in Second City in Chicago, a theater group, sketches. and But I didn't know they did improv as well. So Mike taught me improv. I'm going really fast here, but by... October 85, we'd started the Comedy Store Players with Kit Hollerback, who'd worked with Robin Williams, Paul Merton, who's well known to UK audiences, and a guy called Dave Cohen as well, who then wrote later on Horrible Histories, a very big TV show here in the UK. And Mike was teaching me about improv, which is all about listening, working with what the other person gives you, treating what they say as an offer. And so I did that for many years. The Comedy Store Players still goes. It's going to be our 38th anniversary, October 23. And uh, this was great. I was writer, performer, being on radio, telly. Mike went back to Canada, but then moved to the States, Saturday Night Live. Austin Powers became a movie. I was in his first and third movies. 
But then I had this sort of feeling within my my psyche. There was a moment. And of course, in my book called In the Moment, I talk about the moment, which could be a three second moment with a client, with a colleague. But also there was a period of a year, two, three years where I was thinking, is this what I want to be when I'm older? Um, as an actor, you go out for scripts, you think this isn't very good, but I better go for it. This audition for a commercial. They look at you within a second. No, he's too tall, too fat, too something. Um, and I started realizing that the stuff I teach, improv, really listening, co-creating, being collaborative with another person, finding moments and innovation that neither of you expected but moving forward together, co-creating story was actually powerful off stage. Mm -hmm. And actually the beginnings of Second City in Chicago were with a social worker helping children. Children, non-native speakers, perhaps deprived children who, who were a bit shy about speaking up in class. And it was her son who said, wow, these exercises we could take to the theater. Se Second City started in 1959. And there's many of us now in the Applied Improv Network saying, hey, let's take these skills back to real life, to people in organizations. And so that's what I started doing around the turn of the century. And that's 95% of what I do now. And that's where we met. I did a session online, half a day, enrich your pitch, uh, some improv skills, being really focused on what the client is saying. What is it that matters to them? How can I begin to help them co-create the story of the future? Uh, how can I also use these storytelling? You know, what is the stuff we've done that might be applicable to them? Um, so that's what I do mostly. I'm working with groups. I do keynotes. I work a lot with individuals as well, particularly in professional services. And you'll know what I mean by this, Alex, is somebody who's pretty good technically, then they get to director, partner, whatever. And they've got to start doing something beyond that. They've got to be a leader. They've got to be entrepreneurial. And that's not in the playbook for where they came from. <laughs> it was know the technical stuff, understand spreadsheets or the law or whatever. Now understand people. Now fuzzy, uncertain, roll with the flow. You don't know what could come up. For me, that's exciting. Uh, when I've done plays, scripted plays, I've done, oh, Let's hope something goes wrong. So that's a long answer to your first question. I've come from the world of theater, but now I'm in the world of business, but still maintain my outsider status, which um, in my book, I've talked a lot about stuff that just goes on in businesses and organizations. You think, why are you doing that? Yeah, That's not particularly helpful to anyone, certainly not to the bottom line or certainly not to uh, engagement of employees or indeed their morale. And I'm picking up on a you said a brilliant a brilliant phrase there finding moments of um, innovation that you didn't know existed in terms of the the conversational aspect around just talking with people I guess and if I think about the reason I do these podcasts pretty much off the cuff is so that it is not scripted. And we go with wherever we we go. And only um, today's podcast that was published published with a chap called Fred Copestake, who's created a um, uh, a chat boss and a digital twin. By the end of it, we were we were co-creating kind of a strategy for where he could go with it in real time on the podcast, just by riffing without any kind of script or any idea of where it may well have um, uh, have gone. And you know, reflecting on you're working with you, 
it's a hard day. It was intense, but I really, really enjoyed it. You certainly put us through your your paces. Again, thinking really hard around what do you do in your daily life and i have you know children like everybody has children i appreciate that but if your parents your lovers your grandparents whoever or just how you converse with people then we seem to cross this threshold into the corporate (laughs) environment and the way that we engage internally or the way that we potentially engage with clients seems to seems to shift and i feel that we tend to forget that actually fundamentally they are just people too irrespective of how senior these individuals may well be or junior for that matter it doesn't really it doesn't really matter so from from your perspective in terms of where you kind of come through like enrich the pitch you put through to kind of in in the moment and i think picking up on the professional service angle in particular because that's very much my world you you are you are right because these incredibly technically uh, bright people are scripted through their careers in terms of this is the script <laughs> and do not deviate from the script because if you do things go wrong and then mass you know really big things could um can go wrong so so in the moment what is the what is the 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 purpose to help draw the reader out of whatever situation they find themselves in that's a really badly asked question <laughs> luckily i can make sense of it uh <laughs> thank you alex yeah you're absolutely right. You crossed the threshold. I remember um, I did a, a, um, a sketch series of funny um, funny uh, learning videos and I had a date. I, my, I do a character called Elvorn Spencer. His motto is don't be needy, be succeedy. He's kind of the world's worst motivational guru. But but we were showing about how to have conversations and not to be too scripted. So I, I wrote a sketch where he was on a date with a woman. And as the bill was coming, he gave her you know, the feedback form. She got three out of five for presentation or whatever, uh, two out of five for content or something like that. Um, and she was kind of, what the hell is this? And it's interesting that we do ask our customers, our colleagues, our 360 appraisals. It's all kind of in the past. It's all mechanistic. Um, on the other hand, Alex, you and I are happy with, with this kind of moment. You claim not to have done much prep, but we've met each other. You know who I am. You know it's going to finish on time. We set a date in the diary. There was enough preparation. And I, that's my kind of, uh, dare I say, mission, is mm-hmm. I talk about my improv things. That's how I get into organizations. This crazy guy going to help you deal with conversations that may be uncertain, open-ended, divergent thinking. Let's open it up. And then I say, I feel sorry for those of you who've come from the world of convergent thinking, where it's kind of, kind of going to get to the answer. Divergent is saying, actually, is that even the right question? Mm-hmm. I, I describe that convergent is how do we get from A to B? Divergent is saying, uh, actually, do we need to be at B? Are we really at A? If you're trying to get the bus, should you be not even thinking about transport? Should you be going in another direction? So opening things up. And I can, you know, your you, your listeners may be going, ah, too much. I, I need structure. And I always say to people, life is a mixture of structure and spontaneity. Uh, That's why uh, improv, our metaphor is yes and. Yes, what's happening and how can we use it? And I nearly called the book, yes, but. (laughs) Yes, but (laughs) improv isn't the answer to everything. Yes, but what if I want some guide rails? What if I want some structure? Um, And so I I have a whole um, 
chapter about improv and how we can use that in creative worlds and sales and leadership. And then I start saying, hang on a minute, when do we need to be organized and structured and prepped? And you and I know this. Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked with pharmaceutical reps who talk about their sales collateral and they've got to ask their X number of questions. And you and I know that you need the prep, but then you need sometimes to let the questions go. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't have some prep. And so, for example, I perform with the Comedy Store Players every Sunday. It's, it's like Whose Line Is It Anyway? Or you might have seen other improv shows. So we're improvising based on audience suggestions. But actually, there's a whole bunch of structure going on. We start at 7.30. We finish at 9.30. We know the games we're going to play. We know the people who are going to be in the team. The Comedy Store was organized insurance, marketing, tickets security, drinks, food, plenty of structure so that we can then be uninhibited on the stage. And then there's also the meta structure, which is the team, the vibe we have in the dressing room. Uh, again, that's a, an organic developing emergent structure. Another one is on stage, just telling jokes don't doesn't work. The audience is looking for the story of how we collaborate, the story in the scene, they say chicken, OK, they don't want jokes about chicken. We create scenes or how does the chicken evolve? What if the chicken does cross the road? How does it feel about that? Ah, it's going for a greater purpose. So the thing that I've developed really now is story is the biggest thing. My story, your story. Can I find out the story of my client? Can I tell them their own story that shows I've understood as well as create the story of where they could be going. And actually, that's where we talk about trusted advisor, thought partner. Uh, you know, basically, can I sit with my client and co-create the story of where it could be? Just like you did with Mr. Was it Fred Copsteak? Fred Copsteak, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, great. you know, he knew he had a bunch of stuff. It was all prepped and prepared. Then you and he riffed on it. And um, I don't know how many, Alex, do you know the demographic of your audience? How many of them have studied maths, mathematics at A-level or high school? No idea. <laughs> the best put something in the comments if you've studied maths at, at, at some well, Okay, because <laughs> I did, and I did a maths and physics A-level. So that's what you do at age 17, 18. Um, and I don't know, and we'll try it on you, Alex. Do you know Isaac Newton? I know Isaac Newton, yes. What's his thing? Uh, the apple falling out of a tree and then he uh, discovered gravity. Well, that's when he just, just realised what gravity was. Well, exactly. But that gravity is a force. And he had three laws of motion. And they're really quite profound. One is you keep going in your state of motion, whether it be still or moving, unless a force acts on you. To every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So basically, it's mechanics. If something will stay where it is, unless you push it, there's, there's momentum or inertia. And um force equals mass times acceleration right. so i i'm hit on the head by the apple which yeah. is the mass of the apple the acceleration is g little g which is about 10 uh meters per second squared so so it wouldn't hit me so hard if i was on the moon so basically that's mechanics i press yeah. a lever here and the other end something happens i mm -hmm. press the ignition my wheels turn the car moves mechanics now, I found this wonderful quote by Woodrow Wilson, who was president of the United States, but the only one so far with a PhD in political science. And he said, people make the mistake 
of thinking that government is accountable to Newton rather than to Darwin. Now, Alex, what was Darwin's thing? Uh, evolution of species. Yeah, adaptation. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure he uses those words because yeah, it's survival of the of the thing that you can't get rid of in many ways. So uh, sometimes it's survival of the most adaptable, I would say, perhaps. Anyway, so Newton, straight lines, this is how I've characterized it. Mm -hmm. So government, Woodrow Wilson says, is actually like Darwin. It's, it's changing. It's evolving. It's a bunch of unexpected, uncertain stuff. It's not just straight lines. Press a lever here. Outcomes a good policy. Yeah. which affects people in X or Y way. And I think any organization is a bit of a mix of structure, organization, predictable, mm -hmm. budgets, whatever, maybe, yeah. uh, and actually the human connection. And we try so hard to make organizations be like machines. We have org structures. Don't you love those, Alex? There's <laughs> a box here and there's a whole bunch of other boxes and yeah. then a friend of mine who's a, a great writer and, and coach and speaker, Emmanuel Gobillo, he said, actually, what interests me, the reality is the white space between all the boxes. And you and I know that if I'm in this department, it really helps if I bump into that person. She's in another department. I don't see her every day. We're not actually, you know, what are we, direct reports or in online, in line. But really helpful that her network, my network, where we can share or just even have a chat over coffee. Um, and it works the other way as well. How easy is it for somebody else to kipper me to <laughs> mess up my work? And so that's what I'm trying to get people to think about is when do we need structure? When do we not? Um, when is it useful to be prepared and organized? And I, I my, my book is full of examples of when you should do that. I teach presentation skills as well. You need to know what your material is. You need to know it's going to last as long as it's required. Yeah. Don't leave the rehearsal till the audience is in the room, online or uh, in person. Uh, organize stuff, um, even more so virtually. You've got a meeting. Don't just say catch up, invite 12 people. Make it clear what's going to happen. Yeah. What do we need to do? What's going to happen afterwards? Who's going to be there? Why? Uh, so really what needs to be organized, organize it. What needs to be open, let it be. The, the worst crime is, I think, when there's a conversation in a selling environment or coaching environment or you're, you're just a leader talking to their team or peer to peer or chatting with somebody who may or may not interact with you in, a, in business. Let's say it needs to be open. Let's see what happens. I don't know. It, something may emerge or it may not emerge until 18 months later. On the other hand, if you've got a presentation or people are expecting you to do a spreadsheet or a really busy online meeting, don't just kind of turn, hey, everyone, how are you doing, man? Let's cool. Let's just open it up. So that that's the thesis of the book. I've had my cake and I have eaten it. A moment is three seconds. Improv, it can turn any stage um, but also a moment is that gradual realization of what actually our job is and that client could be working on and what makes us different from the rest of the market and what is the possibility emerging in the future. And that could be three months. It could be three years. 
as uh, as you know, Alex, you know, I wonder one day I'll ask you how this podcast came about. I bet there was a moment of you were driving, sitting there, whatever, looking out the window and this thing came about, which has now become quite structured in a way. You do it regularly. You know how to send it out into the world. And it's obviously led you to some wonderful places. But initially, maybe there was a moment of, hmm, what about that? Well, I'll tell you the story of how this podcast came about was I was been doing it four or five years now, I think, four years, five years possibly. And I advised people on all things social and digital and podcasting was becoming a thing in, B, in B2B. And I thought, well, if I'm going to advise people to start a podcast, I need to do a podcast. I need to be able to live and breathe it. So I've got to start. So I literally started episode one with or what do I do so I didn't read one of my blog posts but to your point of structure I use that as the structure of the first uh, podcast and you know put it out there and then started to do more to get a bit of practice experimented with a few other different things but landed on you know what I don't need to be sponsored by anybody I don't really need the intros or the outros all this kind of stuff let's just have a conversation piece and I'm now at 12,000 downloads which I think is utterly insane uh, in, in terms of me just doing it on a on a shoestring but to your point it has led me to meet some amazing human beings on um, my journey of doing it just through having a conversation and allowing people to use this medium to fundamentally pick up on what you said tell a story but picking up on there's a number of things that I want to kind of un unpack a little bit so let how do you and i'm thinking when i talk about storytelling in my world from content creation sometimes i get the eye roll or you get people oh god you know storytelling this isn't jack and Ori for, uh, for for the kids how do you help kind of senior leaders or execs kind of get over that what we mean by storytelling and then can we maybe uh, delve down to some practical kind of hints and tips that you've mentioned around let's pick a you're you're going to a a client pitch for example most people have client pitches you know what go into a little bit more of that structure which i know you've you've um you've touched on but then also how how do how can people read their audience when things start to go a little bit left field what are they what are they listening for and how do they then react to that and this is the yes and uh piece i guess to either you got to go where you're going to go because the bus doesn't want to go that way they actually want to get a scooter and go over uh go over here so um helping people kind of get over the story hump and then maybe some kind of you know some insights around a, a pitch scenario okay lots a lot's there I'll, I'll start from the, uh, the the last bit which is how do we cope with when it goes off track as it were because uh, I'm saying you should have some ideas of what you're going to say, yeah. but hold it lightly. Uh, the improv notion is listen, and I call it listen with intent. So everything they're saying is a little nugget of what they're feeling, even their body language and the energy behind stuff. I even say I can see when people say something and when they're not interested and when they are interested. And I think the offer, we talk about the idea of an offer is something somebody gives you, you can do something with. Mm -hmm. And the offer could be a word, it could be a concept, and it could be the energy with which they deliver their feelings and thoughts or the sense that they're not saying something. What is it that matters to them? And there's a, a wonderful guy called Robin Dreek, Dreek, 
D-R-E-E-K-E. He does the, 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 the podcast about trust. He mm. used to work for the FBI. He was the uh, head of behavioral analysis at the FBI counterintelligence unit. Wow. His job was finding people who might spy and right. keeping them on side. And he does a lot about uh, how do we influence and persuade. His first book was called It's Not All About Me. And that's the thing to remember. If the client wants to go there, go there with them. Hold lightly what you might say. It may well be all you're trying to sell is, can I come to another meeting and bring my data scientist or my highly technical person next time? Mm -hmm. All we want to do is continue the conversation. Um, but Robin Dreek talks about listen to validate rather than to judge. So instead of saying jumping in with your brilliant consulting or legal in information or opinion, keep going with what they're saying, what matters to them. He talks about listen so you can understand their goals and objectives. And very often the thing that they may have been talking about isn't the thing they really want help with. We all know this perhaps from going to see our general practitioner, the doctor, it, kind of the thing you turn around before uh, opening the door. And there's this other thing. Often they'll say that's the very thing that matters. Anyway, to understand their goals and objectives, it doesn't mean have no idea, but hold lightly, maybe some one, two, three points max, you want to say, mm -hmm. that you've got prepared or has emerged in the meeting. But you show your listening to become what they might feel as a thought partner. Um, and the number of stories, I put them in the book, where actually the client goes off and gets angry with you or doesn't like what you said. And instead of saying, no, 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 let me put you right, you go, okay, vent, tell me more. Let Open up the sluice gates or whatever. Tell me why it's gone wrong. Tell me why you don't like consultants or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's the, uh, the idea of listen with intent, consciously thinking there's a word, an idea, some energy that I can pick up on, throw back to them. So I've got a five letter acronym, listen, accept what they're saying, you can't change it. And then try and kind of think of how can I send back something that shows I've listened? It may just be I repeat what they said uh, or, or ask a question, particularly on that topic. The more they can talk, the better. Now, story, as I say, uh, is vital. You and I know this, but people, it's a bit of a buzzword like purpose yeah. and disruption and authenticity. We don't really know what it means. You say Jack and Nori. Come on, I'm a hard-nosed businessman. I talk spreadsheets. I don't talk stories. But actually, in real life, you do. You talk. You, you sit around with your friends and your family. You tell stories all the time. And story is the oldest software we have. I believe stories existed even before Excel spreadsheets or PowerPoint. <laughs> I think in Indonesia, I found this as cave drawings that tell stories. Before words, there was story. Now, storytelling, buzzword, does it mean better presenting? Does it mean organizing my slides better? Or does it mean something more philosophical where you have the tenets of story? You have a protagonist who has to go through fire and learn something and become something else. Um, obviously, we could do all three of those. <laughs> um, I say to when I'm doing presentation, a coaching, tell, tell a story or two. Way easier to remember. You don't have to write anything. It's your story. And the audience would be leaning in. Where's it going? What's the point of this? Oh, I see. It illustrates a wider point. So that's helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say to people in a pitch or any encounter, have a bunch of stories ready. Maybe, I don't know, 10. But like a tapas menu, some people will prefer 
a second helping of this story or that type of story. So you've got 10 recipes, but you've only used three, gambaroni or patatas, whatever. But you've got to have a few prepared. Now, they tend to be stories of why my firm is good. We did this thing. And again, a good story is things were not great. Now they are better. Mm -hmm. What did we do in the middle? That's a three-act structure. Very simple thing. Defining the moment of less than perfect. Uh, things were taking 50 days. There were 50 people. We were losing 50 million. Now there's only five people. It takes five hours. We're earning one million or whatever. Yeah. So there's a kind of clear difference before and after. And then act two is what we did. And of course, consultants and lawyers tend to like this. What is it we did? Get it, let's get down amongst the weeds. We did all sorts of things. We were the discretionary authority. We called in. And actually, you kind of want to say, let's keep that simple. Maybe down the line, you can give them the technical stuff. But we did this, or it took us this amount of time. We brought in this person who actually had never worked in the life sciences, but because they knew about data analytics, uh, for example, we brought them in from finance. Yeah. Brilliant story from PA Consulting about how they looked at the heartbeat of a child in the first few moments of its life, quite similar to the ups and downs of financial markets. And so they created a product which cost about 50p and used the battery of... Uh, maybe a phone or something um, to help monitor the life of a child in a moment. Now that to me is a story. All our hard headed stuff mm -hmm. saved a baby and saved many babies. That's a story. Uh, so, okay. Have a bunch of stories ready of how we're good, uh, but start thinking about the future, which is talking to the client and creating their heart and mind, the story of where they could go if they were to play with you. If you were to offer their, give them, you know, stuff that you do. Hey, together we could go on this trip and you need to listen before you create that story of where things go. And the thing that I think I want to start focusing on is people will think, oh, storytelling. That means I've got to have a bunch of stories ready. Yes. But actually, at some point, if you're in, in a professional services, your job is to begin to say the story of the present, listening to the client and saying, oh, I see. So what you're saying is da -da 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 -da. that's where you are. This is why you're here. And the client goes, yeah, that's right. Thanks for telling me my own story. And telling the story showed you've understood the situation. I want to be with you when you start telling the story of the future. There's also a thing to think about. And again, it's easy to say, I'll, I'll just learn a bunch of stories about uh, our, us as consultants or my legal firm, whatever. Actually begin to think about who the protagonist of the story is. If it's, you know, um, Neil Malarkey Consulting is the hero all the time. Neil Malarkey saved the world. Neil Malarkey did this. Okay, interesting. But that moves us to the next place, which is, because of what Neil Malarkey did or whoever, this company is now doing this. Make yeah. them the hero. You can step into the Obi-Wan Kenobi role. You were there, the mentor. You gave them the lightsaber. You put them in the right direction. And now they've conquered the world. Luke Skywalker. Or So beginning to think about the protagonist. is um, It doesn't always have to be your firm. Start moving it to, if we work with you, you will be able to do this. You're the protagonist. You're the heroine, the hero. And then even more nuanced is 
actually not even thinking of them as the hero, Heron, but the consumer, the end user. Because yeah. of what we will do, that person at home or in the street with a phone can do da da da, and it'll take no time at all. They won't know the millions of pounds that have been spent on the technology behind that uh, and create that picture, conjure an image in somebody's, ah, right, the consumer, the end user, the man, woman in the street, my grandma, your sister, my nephew can do this. And it's going to be great. That's going to make their life simple, uh, easier, even though there's a complexity in what we did. And finally, even now, sometimes the hero, the heroine, the protagonist is the product or the device. Um, many stories I've heard from different organizations, the COVID app is the protagonist. Yeah. Because of it, lives were saved. And there were many people working under the bonnet to make that car move. Um, so, you know, the device in many worlds, I think this, this is my iPhone becomes the hero. Because of this, we can do that. And we don't know all the other people who were making that happen. So that's the thing. I, I challenge people a little bit. Storytelling, yeah, it can be better presenting. Yeah, it can be neater slides. But actually, storytelling in the moment and creating the idea of where we could go and also reframing what to you was a project with a lot of stuff going on that went badly or then went well, um, reframe it differently. And I'll give you one story, for example, with your the firm you mentioned when we met, PA Consulting. Um, they do a lot of work in defense and they didn't tell me exactly what went on defense and government, but it was kind of, somebody said to me, it was a tough one. You know, there were some ups and downs. We work in the British army um, and we brought some of our abilities from other areas. We did this and so forth. And it felt like a tough gig. Then some, a year later, the head of the British army rang up the head of this uh, practice and said, you know what, because of what we did, we're saving Ukrainian lives. Now that to me is a story. Yeah. Um, makes me tingle again. I don't know if, I've, <laughs> if we can use that, Alex, or not, but just a very simple notion of whatever went on, ups and downs, the story, in the end, something positive emerged. And Thank you. Um, as always, your storytelling is is effervescent. And you know, in terms of the the end, the end user. If I reflect on you know law and and consulting, sometimes the end user could well be the employee. So a consulting going into a firm to help them do things better, operating models and all that. My wife upstairs will um, shoot me if she thinks I'm taking the Mickey out of operating models. Um, but by doing X, Y, Z, actually, this means you'll have happy, you know, happier employees. Happier employees will stay longer, which means you'll get reduced churn rates, save recruitment fees, all the all these kind of things. And again, the 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 story bit in terms of making sure you got the protagonist just rings. So I remember now when we were going through your um, your session, you know, give give someone a name. Talk about Jane in the HR department at another client, or Bob in the legal department at another client, because. We do. We are. We all grew up on stories. To your point about caves in 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 Indonesia before we even had the written the written word. That's how knowledge was transferred. Right back in the day was through storytelling. So it's innately baked into us. But as you mentioned, organisationally, we feel we feel we are constrained into our box and do not deviate from the box. And especially 
those of you that work in professional services will will, will know this is that the experts who are you know, experts in their own right, and this isn't denigrating their 20 years of what they've done, feel they have to get everything off their chest and, and out, even if, to your analogy, um, you know, they don't want to get the parts, they want to go over here. They still like go here. So back to that, that listen with uh, intent, which I guess potentially is similar to how I was taught way back when in my early sales career, kind of active, active listening, you know, two ears and one mouth, use them in... Um, uh in in that order is it's it it's it is simple but it's hard that's the thing it is simple when you talk through it and um and you kind of discuss it like like this but ha- having been and worked with you which was brilliant funny it is having that confidence that yes to your point there is structure which you may not even realize there is structure but having the confidence that it is okay to kind of go ice ski to go off piste and that you do know what you do and you don't always, this is the other thing I always talk to, you don't need to have all the answers, but as long as you've got confidence that someone else in your organization has the answer, great question. I don't know the answer to that personally, but let me go and find someone who can, let's have another meeting. Absolutely. And again, that's the reason for hanging around the cafe <laughs> and, and, and also the virtual equivalent, which is, knowing what the organization is doing, knowing that there's some woman or man who's just beaving away, doing brilliant stuff and thinking, oh, actually, if she could help me do this or saying simply to the the client, you know, oh, I don't know how to do that, but you should meet Sheila. She just knows stuff. Let's do do it. Let's meet her. Um, And she's just done this thing where we worked out that and I couldn't know, I haven't known what's going on, but she did it. That to me is why we should network in another world of, Oh, no, networking, how yucky. (laughs) But just finding (laughs) out people's story, finding out what people are up to, and that lateral thinking, especially in professional services, which is, okay, very often the client says, oh, you've done a great job for us. Well done. See you next time. We need something like that. (laughs) And professional services often do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, And there's all that knowledge and expertise in the organization. And if I haven't understood what other people are doing, what a shame, because uh, you want to be able to say to your client, we don't just do this. You know, what's keeping you awake at night? Tell me more. And that open-ended conversation, you begin to think, oh, crikey, I'm, I, I don't know how to solve that. But uh, there's there's this brilliant person who does that, or that team who recently did this. It's not even in the same sector, but they somehow looked at something that was equally complex or where there wasn't much research. That, to me, is the confidence and this book which i've called in the moment because moments matter sometimes real innovation can happen in the corridor where you bump into people the unstructured conversation and let's be open to that is the whole chapter fact called serendipity serendipity a word first introduced uh in business by the head of one of the biggest management consultancies in the world where i was going to teach them storytelling and here was the boss talking about serendipity, a natural scientist who then work into the retail world. But he said, just, he said, my job is to maximize my chances in the lucky market. What he meant by that was, I just want to be seen and talking and listening. So when that possible idea, that half-baked thought comes my way, I'm ready to respond. Or they send it to me when they say, I don't know where this is going to go. What do you think? 
he wants his share of the lucky market. I thought that was a brilliant thing because a lot of consultancies will have, uh, you know, a third, two thirds predictable. You know, yeah. they're good at that. They've done it before. Let me let me do it again for you. And there's an area. Oh, they could go small. They could go big. They could go um, with somebody in Europe. They could go somewhere in America, whatever. And that lucky market is where all oh, that agility, that flexibility to sometimes go down a rabbit hole or a, a left field idea, take the wrong turn. But actually, in time, that giving may bear dividends. Um, but the thing about in the moment is that you have possibilities where you didn't expect. And if you're listening, that active listening you said as a salesperson, um <laughs> You can go anywhere. The the what I would say is that um, a lot of people have said to me, "I wish I'd had this book when I was 20, 25. because a lot of people do this. You know this, Alex. Um, by the time they get to a certain age and experience, they're ho- they're okay to go with the flow. They know your technical ability will get you only so far. But it's the twenty somethings who are scared, especially on a virtual call. They suddenly they tune in early to the teams meeting and uh oh it's the ceo of the client what the hell do i say well say anything say yeah. anything just talk about what's in their background uh say how what you had for breakfast that's fine get them they want to know about you they they want to get your wisdom they don't know much about the tiktok generation to whom they may be trying to appeal so talk to them you don't need to know the answer and that's where uh, i got this alex i'm going around but you don't need to know the answer. And it's very hard because most education gets you high school, college, university, got to know the answer. And actually, as soon as you leave, you go into the real world where it's all about collaboration, not knowing the answer, um, but being confident to say we can find the answer or actually confident enough to say that's the wrong question. Um, and that's hard when you're 20 something. That's really hard to say, well, we don't know. We'll have a go. We'll see. <laughs> and um, how do we convey the confidence? And there's all sorts of ways, as I say, tone of voice, body language, technical ability can come through as well. If you take a breath for a second, you don't know the answer. But what about talking about a case study, an example, a left field analogy where they go, oh, yeah, she gets it. She understands what I'm about. That's not the answer, but I want to spend more time talking to her about this. A lot there in the moment. That being the lucky market, I think is brilliant. I'm going to steal that with um, uh, with a vengeance. I might ping you afterwards to find out who, um, uh, if you can remember where. which. I know exactly who it was. I tried to contact them. I'll try them again one day, maybe in the reprint. Um, <laughs> I can answer, but it was a big, big company. I imagine who it is. Well, I'll DM you after this after this the, the show. Um, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, where where can people find you if they want to buy the book or if they want to bring you in to do your uh, your improv magic? Well, uh, neilmalarkey.com, which is really hard to spell. Um, my or improv your biz. Oh, it's there. Is it okay? Yeah, do it there. Links will be down there. Links. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Um, it's just lovely to meet people you've met, meet people you've never met, get connected, read wonderful articles. Um, so uh, that LinkedIn is where I am. There's a few other Neil, Neil Malarkeys, but uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Threads. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm on X, Twitter, as used to be. 
Uh, I don't know yet. I'm Facebook. I don't know yet which is the best. I probably for my business, LinkedIn is the mm -hmm. one because uh, it kind of it connects in the right context. Yeah. But on the other hand, if ever anyone's in London on a Sunday evening, the Comedy Store Players, ComedyStorePlayers.com, come and see the improv. Come and say hello. That's that's how I get some work sometimes. And that's what a, a lovely thing. Sometimes people say, oh, I didn't know you did this other stuff. Or I, in a workshop, I say, come and see us. And they go, oh, right. I can see what you're talking about, how you use the skills you talked about on the stage. And it's fun. And anyone can do it. I'll put all the links down here. I'll put the links in the body of the uh, of the podcast. Um, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you, uh, to you, Neil. Thank you very much. And for my listeners, if you want to be on the podcast and you want to do, if you want to recommend anybody to be on the podcast, you know what to do. But wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a good day. And uh, Neil, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.